All right, have a seat if you would. Good to see you. And uh, we're going to finish up today the, the Christmas series we've been doing called Joyful. We're going to talk about rejoicing in God during our trials. And so <clears throat> we're going to be in Romans chapter 5. And this is certainly not a traditional uh, Christmas text, but uh, it's it's just a real life subject, I think. I mean, if we're honest, life is often hard. It's difficult. You know, lots of trials. Uh, you know, sometimes during the hol- holiday season, maybe we're singing joy to the world on the outside. And on the inside, we're really saying, woe is me. Or, you know, on the outside, we're uh, talking about maybe acting like, you know, we're full of holiday cheer. But on the inside, we're just feeling down, depressed, anxious discouraged, uh, things like that. And so, um, you know, I want us to deal with that in, in, in a real and an honest kind of way today. Uh, I mean, the Bible is very honest. It's a, it's a realistic book. Uh, it talks a lot about trials and, and how we handle uh, our trials. And really what I, where I want to start before we get into Romans chapter 5 is I just want to give you a few reasons as to why biblically that we actually have trials. While people do, some of them are specific to Christians. Some of them are, are just general. But you ever thought about that? I mean, uh, why do we go through trials uh, so much? I mean, why, why do we have certain trials in our lives? And we don't always know, you know, why in a particular case. But I'm just talking about generally. These are some reasons. There's at least seven. There may be more, but there's at least seven reasons, according to Scripture, that we experience trials in our lives. Uh, One is we experience trials just simply because we live in a fallen world. Um, It's the world in which we live. Things have not been normal. Things have not been what they were supposed to be since the fall. The world is in a state of decay. We are in a state of decay. If you're probably at least 40, I don't have to convince you of that. Uh, Those of you that are under 40 may still question that. But, uh, you know, uh, we don't get heaven on earth, despite what the prosperity gospel says. And the reality is that in this fallen world, there's going to be difficulties, pain, problems, suffering, trials, difficulties. And um, God's not going to change that. Until Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom and makes everything right. And, you know, sometimes people lose their faith because they're like, you know, why doesn't God fix all of this? Or people believe the prosperity gospel and then it doesn't work for them. And it's because believing a lie. I mean, it's a world of thorns and thistles ever since the fall. And that's how it's going to continue to be. So, welcome to True Life. Merry Christmas. And we hope you're encouraged today. Um, Second reason is, uh, you know, because we reap what we sow. That's just the reality. Sometimes we go through trials because we're reaping what we sow. I am my own worst enemy. You are too. You're your own worst enemy. That's just the reality. Um, and sometimes we go through trials because of our sin, because of our foolishness, our lack of wisdom, bad decisions we make. Just how God has designed the world uh, to work. Sometimes, though, we go through trials. It doesn't have anything to do with sin. Uh, We may be doing exactly what we're supposed to be, but God uses trials to refine us and to help us to grow spiritually. And that's a recurring theme in Scripture. You see in James chapter 1 that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Lots of verses like that. Um, We'll talk about that during the message today. But, uh, you know, sometimes people will say, well, if you're going through a trial, there must be some kind of sin in your life. That's not necessarily the case. Sometimes God may be using difficult circumstances to prune you, to bring you farther along. It's not because of sin. It's because he's got bigger plans for you, and he's got to grow you in to that, and trials are part of growing you uh, into that. Sometimes, though, uh, the Bible teaches us uh, in Proverbs, Hebrews 12, that we experience trials because our Father is disciplining us. You know, there's no judgment for Christians. Jesus took all that on the cross, but just like a a loving earthly parent who corrects uh, his or her child, our Heavenly Father corrects us sometimes. He has to get our attention uh, to get us back on track or to keep us from uh, 
you know, hurting ourselves in, in, in bigger ways. Sometimes, though, people go through trials because we're suffering for Jesus. We have persecuted brothers and sisters around the world today that are suffering for Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us it's not only given to us to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for his name's sake. So if, there's, if we're not experiencing at least a little bit of suffering uh, for being a Christian, if somebody's not getting ticked off at us occasionally, something's not right in our spiritual lives. I mean, that's really what Scripture teaches. And so if you're a Christian, sometimes you should go through trials because simply you are a Christian and you're living for the Lord and people aren't going to like it. Um, another reason, though, sometimes we go through trials is because of other people's sin. Some of you, that's the story of your holiday season. The holidays aren't a joyous time. They're a trial because of family dysfunction, of abuse, of mistreatment, however you want to describe it. And and certainly it could be much broader uh, than that. But Simply, you know, one of Satan's biggest lies is it's your life, you can do what you want, it's not going to hurt anybody else. When Scripture tells us we don't live under ourselves, we don't die under ourselves, everything we do affects everybody else. And so sometimes we are going to suffer, experience trials because of the sin of other people. And then sometimes as Christians we go through trials because Satan's attacking us. Fiery darts, spiritual warfare. And so, you know, when you look at these things and think about these things, and they certainly sometimes interconnect and overlap, um, trials are a part of life. How are we going uh, to deal with them? Are we going, and, and specifically what we're talking about is rejoicing in trials. The series is about joy. So how are we going to be able to you know, have joy to when we don't necessarily feel happy or when our circumstances aren't good or life's not what they what we want it to be or God's not doing what we want him to do or he's not answered a prayer or a situation is not getting fixed. Um, how can we have joy? And we talked about in the first message in the series that really, you know, joy is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It's something God does in us, and, you know, it can transcend just our feelings and those kind of things. But, well, I mean, what if you're just not feeling it? Can you choose to worship when life is hard? Can you choose to rejoice when things are, are, are bad? And so, uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, and, but before we get there, just a couple of quick illustrations to kind of frame it. Um, some of you probably know Rob Walters. He's been um, the youth pastor at First Baptist Church Morristown for several years now. Uh, you know, good brother in Christ. And uh, I, I ran into him one day this past week. I was at a meeting in, uh, at First Baptist Morristown. As I was leaving, I ran into him in their office area and was talking to him, asking how they're doing this kind of thing. And uh, what you may or may not know is... Uh, uh, Robin's wife, Lindsay, had a baby in October of, of 2017 who was born with some complications, lived for a few months, and then died on New Year's Day uh, 2018. And so, uh, you know, this coming New Year's Day will be the second anniversary of Barrett's uh, death. And I'm just asking, you know, how they're doing, holidays hard for them, that kind of thing. And he was telling me about that. But then he was telling me about what they're going to be doing on uh, January 1st, the second anniversary of their baby boy's death. And what they're going to be doing is they're going to be in um, whatever the name of the stadium is in Atlanta now that used to be the Georgia Dome. That's something different at the Passion Conference, you know, worshiping the Lord with tens of thousands of young people. Why would you do that? How do you do that on the second anniversary of your son's death? That's what we're going to talk about today. Tim Keller says that your belief in the gospel is measured by your ability to have joy in suffering. Your belief in the gospel is measured to have, by your ability to have joy in suffering. Now, I, don't, I don't know what you think about this quote We kind of talked about it amongst some of my family, and I'm not sure everybody fully agreed with it. But, uh, I mean, I agree with it. I mean, don't be too literal with it. Uh, Don't press it too far. But 
Um, I hope by the end of this message that you'll at least understand what he's saying. But I think what he's saying in a nutshell is, is this, that if we can rejoice in the Lord in suffering, it means that our faith is rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. And it's not dependent upon our circumstances. And so, uh, you know, if we can rejoice when we're suffering, if we can praise God when we're suffering, it means that we're not just looking for what God can do for us, but we're focused on Him and who He is and giving Him His rightful place at the center of the universe on the throne of all things. Because I, I think, and I hope this doesn't seem like a harsh statement, it's a convicting statement to me, but I believe it's true. I believe if I say or you say as a Christian that life's bad so I can't worship God, it's putting myself at the center of the universe instead of putting the Lord Jesus in the center of the universe. Because it's basically saying, God, if you do what I want, then I'll praise you. But if, I, if you don't, I won't, which means really at, a, at the root, we're trying to control God. Instead of letting him control us. And, and, and that's, like I say, that's kind of hard. But I really think it's something that we need to wrestle with in our lives. If we say that we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we say that we're trusting Jesus, why are we following him? Is it for what we can get out of it? Is it for what we want him to do for us? Or is it because he's true and he's good and the gospel's real, and God is worthy. Where's our faith? Now, this, I think, is harder for us as modern-day Americans than it has been for people in history and for a lot of people around the world because we're spoiled. I mean, I, I, a guy named Mark Clark, who's one of my favorite preachers, Canadian guys, pointed out that when you study the history of the world, almost everybody's believed in God, and when you study the history of the world, almost everybody has had worse circumstances than us. And, you know, if, if you think about it, you know, with the, if you read what's going on, the rise of the nuns, atheism, agnosticism, that kind of thing, you know, one of the things people debate, you know, and mull over, and I mean, I'm not saying there's not a place for it, I have myself, this question, if God's good and God's love, God's all-powerful, how can there be evil in the world? Uh, well, most people throughout history have experienced a lot more evil than us didn't mull over that question so much or say, I can't believe in God because of this, but they pressed into God because of it. So, you know, why do we say that we follow Jesus? So what I want to give you in this text today in Romans chapter 5 is five gospel reasons why we can rejoice even during the trials of life. Now, as we look at this text in Romans chapter 5, and let me just kind of give you the, the, the context, because if you read the book of Romans, you know, the first uh, eight, 17 verses are an introduction. And starting in verse 18 of, of, of chapter 1 through about chapter 3, verse 20, uh, it's, it's about condemnation. It's about how that we're all sinners who are under the righteous, righteous judgment of God and God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and all ungodliness of men. And then starting at chapter 3 around verse 19 or 20, it's about justification. It's about how Jesus came and, and absorbed the, propitiated the wrath of God. He died for our sins. And that if we trust him alone, that he justifies us. He declares us righteous in the sight of God. He brings us into a relationship with God. And that's the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 5. And in particular, I think in chapter 5, 1 through 11, it's about the benefits of being declared righteous. But in this text, and this is really where I'm going to apply it today, you also see Paul dealing with trials. You see him talking about rejoicing. And so as we look at the benefits of the gospel, I'm going to apply those in particular to how because of these benefits of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for us, we can worship God, we can rejoice even during the trials of life. Now, why is this so important? Well, if we agree with what I said earlier, that we're going to have trials. We do have trials. I mean, is there ever a time in your life where everything is perfect? 
Just 100% exactly like you want it to be. Maybe for an hour. I don't even know if we get that. Now, you know, in a good time, maybe it's mostly how we want it to be. But sometimes it's not anywhere near how we want it to be. So can we still worship God then? Can we still have joy then? How do we deal with these kind of things? Some of which are out of our own control. Let's look at what the Bible says. So Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, which connects it back to what he's already been saying, having been justified, having been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory, which, and, and this is a crazy phrase, because the word glory means to exult in, boast in. Uh, we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. For, because, when we were still without strength, in due time, at the right moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man would someone even dare to die. But God demonstrates the word means he proves his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Every one of us is in the same boat spiritually. Every one of us is a sinner. But every one of us is loved by Jesus. He died for you. Today, if you will trust Christ, you can, be, you can have, be at peace with God, forgiven of your sins, in a relationship with God, knowing him as your heavenly father. That's what this text is telling us. He says, much more than having been justified by his blood, having been declared righteous through his sacrifice on the cross, which means it's a settled matter, Right? Uh, it's not something we're trying to get justified or if we're just enough or if we act righteous enough that God's going to declare us righteous. We can live righteously because we're already declared righteous. The righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us is the biblical terminology. He says we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were, in, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice, here's that word again, in God. He didn't say we rejoice in our trials. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So I want to walk us through this, and I want to give us five um, reasons, gospel reasons, why we can rejoice even during our trials. And the first one's this. We can rejoice because we know God. Because we know God. You say, that still doesn't make me happy about my trials. I, absolutely, but... Let me explain to you what I mean, okay? In verse 11 here, he says that, use that phrase, rejoicing in God. But if you go back to verse 1, it says, you know, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me explain a couple of words here, here to you. The word peace means to take two things that were separated and to bring them back together again. And so what it's saying is, you know, God created us, sin separated us, and now Jesus, his cross, reconciled us, verse 11, back to the Father. So now we have peace with God. There's nothing separating us. There's nothing in between us. We're not enemies of God anymore. There's no more wrath of God against us. Uh, Jesus took all of that, so there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So we don't have to be afraid of God in the sense of being afraid to approach Him. Yes, we're to be afraid of Him in the sense of awe or reverence, but we don't have to be afraid that God is going to judge us, condemn us, reject us. We're at peace with Him as dear beloved children of God through the work of Jesus Christ. And the word there, uh, with, it literally means facing or, or, or face to face. It's saying that through Jesus, we can come in a sense face to face with God. We can come into his presence, that we are in relationship uh, with him. That, you know, 
if, if, like if you're ashamed, what do you usually do? You maybe kind of hang your head, you look down. Listen, through the cross, we don't have to hang our head in shame before God anymore because there is no more shame, there is no more guilt, there is no more condemnation. Jesus bore all of that. So even though I have no righteousness on my own, through an alien righteousness, through this righteousness of Christ given to me uh, by faith, I can now, in a sense, come to God face to face. I can come to Him as my Father without shame, knowing that I belong to Him and that I have a relationship with Him. I know God. That's part of what was accomplished by the cross. But you say then, how does that relate to uh, our trials? Well, it goes back to what I said before. Are we following God because He's God? Are we following God because of what we can get from Him? And if we know God, that's enough Reason right there to worship him. Now, it's great when he's pouring out all these you know, physical, temporal, material blessings as well. But if there's nothing more than I was a rebel and I've committed cosmic treason against God by my sin. But he still loved me and he still sent his son to die for me. And Jesus has reconciled me. And I can come to God without shame and without fear. And I can come to him and call him father. And I'm loved and I'm accepted. Isn't that in and of itself enough reason to worship him no matter what's going on in my life outwardly? That's the point. We know God, and he's enough. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, do you remember when your mother used to say, uh, don't eat candy before meals? Why did she say that? Because she knew it would ruin your meal. That wasn't true for some of us, because we could eat all the time at a certain age. But uh, mama said that, right? The trouble with eating candy is that it gives you a sugar buzz, and then you don't feel hungry. Candy masks the fact that your body needs proteins and vitamins. The sugar buzz from candy makes your hunger for the real mask your hunger for the real nutrients that you don't have. Things like sex, power, money, and success, as well as favorable circumstances, act like spiritual sugar. Christians who have these spiritual candies may say, "Sure, I believe in God, and I know I'm going to heaven," but they're actually basing their day-to-day joy on favorable circumstances. Guilty? I mean, how I am, how often do we do that if we're honest? When the circumstances change, though, it can drive us to God because when the sugar disappears, when the candy gets taken away, we're forced to pursue the feast that our souls really crave. We'll hunger for the spiritual nutrients we really need, which is Jesus himself. Corey Timboom Uh, writer, speaker, Nazi concentration camp survivor said, I never really knew that God was all I needed until he was literally all that I had. That's who he wants to be in our lives. Uh, A lot of you are familiar with Toby Mac, Christian singer. He used to be with DC Talk. And you may or may not know that uh, one of their sons, who I think was 21, died this fall. Well, uh, shortly after his death, him and his wife posted this statement. They said, we don't follow God Because we have some sort of under-the-table deal with him, like we'll follow you if you bless us. We follow God because we love him. It's our honor. He is the God of the hills and the valleys, and he is beautiful above all things. Do we believe that? Can we say that, whatever's going on in our lives? And and, and to be honest, you know, I like it when it's easy, but sometimes I think God lets it be hard to kind of strip all that away to drive us to him so that we see that he is enough and we see that he's good no matter what's going on in our lives. You know, in the course of our lives, and I think back over trials and difficulties uh, that we've gone through, we found him to be enough. Do you believe he's enough? And of course, some people will say, well, you know, you go to God during trial, whatever. You know, he's just a crutch, and it's all just a figment of your imagination and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, a lot of people say, you know, I even believe in God. But, you know, what, what's the alternatives here? Like, if life's just hard and then we die... There's not a lot of hope in that, is there? 
Now, some people say, well, so you invent God to give life some hope and some purpose and some meaning. Well, I don't want to base my life on a myth. But I would say to someone uh, this, if there is no God, if humanism or atheism is true, and we have no soul, if we're simply living in a material universe, and uh, we're just material beings, and there's no spiritual part of us, as a material being that's just you know, physical, and uh, you know, I'm just flesh and blood and muscles and skeleton, and my brain, you know, it's just nerves and neurons and all those kind of things. If, if it's all just material, there is no spirit. Spiritual, where would even thoughts like having joy and peace and love and hope and truth and goodness and beauty and virtue come from? Your animals, however much you love them, right, who don't have a soul, who don't have a spirit, who are just physical beings, aren't sitting around thinking those thoughts like that. I'm sorry, I know you love your cats, but they're not sitting around having philosophical debates about the meaning of life and hope for the future and uh, you know, beauty and truth and goodness and those kind of things. Why, why are we different? Why do we even think that way if there is no God? And I think if someone wants to deny God, that's one of the many things that they have to explain away. But I mean, if we're just a product of evolutionary processes, you know, chance and time and all these kind of things, where does this kind of stuff even come from? It, it really it doesn't add up. So we can rejoice in God himself. Even, you know, we may hate the trial, but we can still praise the Lord. And, you know, and that does something on the inside of us. See, a lot of times I think we think, if I feel it, then I'll do it. You know, if I feel joyful, then I'll praise the Lord. But really, we get this backwards. The Bible teaches us that uh, our obedience should precede our feelings. Feelings follow obedience. A lot of times, we want to have the feeling, and then we obey, and that's backwards. And that's part of our spiritual struggle. Second, though, we can rejoice during trials because we stand in grace. I love verse 2. Uh, This phrase, he says, through whom we also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, this phrase, this grace in which we stand, I want you to know, you may feel like right now that you're not standing. You may feel like you're teetering, you're wobbling. You may feel like a boxer that's just got punched in the nose and somebody needs to give you a standing eight count. That may be what life feels like right now. Or it may feel like that not Mike Tyson has just knocked you out and you're not standing, that somebody has just knocked you on your rear end. But I want you to know if you're in Christ, you are standing in the grace of God. You are held in the Father's hand and nothing can ever take you away from that and that his grace is made perfect in our weakness that he is sufficient for whatever that you are going through you see because the bible teaches us there's not only saving grace there's sanctifying grace there's serving grace but there's sustaining grace that for a child of god he is enough to get us through whatever trials are going on in our lives now you say well, how does this idea of grace relate to my child? This just sounds all spiritual and airy-fairy. Well, just a couple of quick thoughts. One is, whatever our trials are, we're still getting better than what we deserve. That's grace. You understand, biblically, it's grace that we're not in hell right now. And so anything beyond that is grace. That's what we deserve. So you may be like, why isn't God blessing me more than he is? But the fact that we're alive... The fact, like I say, that we're not in hell, the fact that we can say that we have a relationship with God through Christ, all of that is grace. But even beyond that, probably a better reason is whatever our trials are, we still have all the blessings of being a child of God. And this is where sometimes when life is difficult outwardly, we just got to hang on to the promises of God. But what are the promises of God? That by his grace, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are chosen in Christ. We are redeemed. We are accepted. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're dearly beloved children of God, that uh, God will never leave us or forsake us, that he's with us, he's for us, that nothing is ever going to 
separate us from his love, that he's working all things together for our good. That's the grace of God, and that's what we stand in. And sometimes, like I say, when life is knocking us down, we have to stand on those promises of the grace of God, and that's what's going to keep us going, and that gives us reason to rejoice and to praise and worship the Lord, even when it doesn't make sense outwardly, because whatever's going on in our lives, God is still the same, the gospel's still true, and his grace is still working in you. Third gospel reason that we can rejoice during trials, it comes from the last part of verse 2, and that is because a better day is coming. A better day is coming. Do you understand if, if, if say the Bible's not true, let's be, be hypothetical for a second, and, and, and humanism is, is right, our trials have no purpose other than, you know, part of the evolutionary process would be survival of the fittest. And then if we have no soul, we die, and that's it. That's why Paul said, if there is no resurrection, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Let's go party. Let's enjoy this existence of pain and suffering as much as we can. But if the gospel's true, if the Bible is true, we can do what Paul says at the end of verse 2 and rejoice in, the, in hope of the glory of God. Now, what's he talking about here? Well, the Bible teaches us there's three aspects to our salvation. There's justification, we're declared righteous. There's sanctification, we're being conformed into the image of Christ. And then there's glorification, that someday when we die and go to heaven and when Jesus comes back, that we're glorified, which means we get a new body. We're like Jesus, and we're delivered permanently from the very presence of sin. And everything is perfect in the, in the, in the presence of a perfect God, that our Savior has perfected us by his blood. And there's no more sickness or sorrow or suffering or death. And the Bible teaches us, 1 Corinthians 15, John 14, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees our resurrection. And this resurrection that we're going to experience is into this future hope of the glory of God. That's what we're going to experience then. And so what that says is, my trials are limited. My trials are temporary. There is a better day coming. This is not the end. As bad as it may seem right now, it's not going to last forever. And if you're in Christ, even if your life is really hard, that is at the end of the day going to be a drop in the bucket in comparison with all the eons of eternity, the never ending in the presence of God, in his glory, in perfection. Uh, you know, the Bible says at the at Psalm 16, 10, I think, somewhere in Psalm 16, at the, at, at the Father's right hand, there's joy and pleasures forevermore. That's our hope. I love the way theologian D.A. Carson puts it. It's probably one of my favorite quotes. He says, there's nothing that I'm suffering from that a good resurrection can't fix. And that's our hope. Our faith is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our hope is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that produces our resurrection that leads to the glory of God, which means that eternally everything's going to be right, even if it's not now. And I understand that doesn't fix things, but it does give us hope. And it's a whole lot better than suffer and die, go to the ground, and that's the end. Fourth gospel reason that we can rejoice during trials is because God is using our trials for good. Now, once again, doesn't make them pleasant, doesn't make them fun, doesn't make us want them, but there is at least a purpose to them. Uh, I, I want you to notice the progression that he gives here in verses 3 and 4. He says, We glory in tribulations knowing what? Tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope. Here's the progression. Um, tribulation produces perseverance, which means that we basically have to go through some trials to grow into who God wants us to be. Think about it this way. Several years ago, one of our kids was going through a really rough time. And, you know, as a parent, you, you're, you're kind of, your compassionate instincts are to step in and fix it. Uh, this is actually when Molly was in sixth grade. I hope uh, those of you that are younger than us, have kids younger than us, I hope you know that sometimes 
that compassionate instinct to step in and fix things is the worst decision that you can ever make as a parent. Do you realize that? Now, there are some things sometimes we need to step in, but, but sometimes we're going to make things worse, if not then, in the long run by stepping in. And so Rob and I were laying in bed one night talking about this. And of course, mom's emotional. She's crying and this kind of thing. And we're kind of talking about, you know, how you get through this, enduring things, those kind of things. She asked me this question. She said, well, you know, how do you learn endurance? And uh, I gave her an answer that I think is like one of the three things in our 29 plus years of marriage that she's thought I've said that was actually profound. Um, and um, it, it was really simple, but, it, but it's true. The way we learn endurance is by enduring things. And there is no other way. Right? Um, Monica, you run, what's, you run half marathons, right? You ever run a full marathon? Okay, first half marathon you ran, you just didn't go out and run 13 miles one day, did you? You did? Wow. No, okay. don't mess up my illustration here, right? I mean, like, if you just went and tried to run 13 miles, you, you'd die, right? I mean, you start with a mile, work up to a couple miles, maybe do a 5K, and then you kind of keep... Because you have to endure to develop more endurance, right? If, if you're going to lift weights... Uh, you know, like if Charlie Gibson was in here, I don't know, you know, when he maxed out whatever bench press, 450 pounds, or whatever, he didn't just do that one day. You know, you work up to that. And same thing in life, same thing spiritually. We have to develop some spiritual muscles and some spiritual endurance, but we have to go through some trials to build those faith muscles. And, you know, the, 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 I look at Molly now and just see who she is and see she's one of the most uh, resilient people I know. Some of that's because of some of the things she's been through, like, uh, you know, be, having open heart surgery when she was three days old, find out she had epilepsy when she was 13, but she has a heart to worship God. Why? Some of that's because she's endured some things, experienced God in that, and if we'd have gotten in the way of that with some kind of quick, easy fix, we'd have actually been undermining what God was doing in her life, and we want to do that for our kids. We want to do that for ourselves. We want God to do that in us when, you know, God doesn't use people greatly until he's built some endurance in them. So you may be going through some stuff, and it's not because God's mad at you. It's because he's got greater plans for you than you could ever imagine. But it's not going to be easy getting there, because easy don't work in the real world. We want it to be easy, but, but it doesn't work. So tribulation produces perseverance. Then perseverance produces character. Now, notice it doesn't say trials produce character. It says Perseverance produces character. It's not being in a trial that develops character. It's enduring a trial in the right way that builds character. See, trials don't make us do things. Trials reveal things. Like when we get squeezed, what's really in us, that's what comes out. I mean, think about it. Like in Honduras, instead of having bottles of water, they have these little bags of water. You squeeze that, water comes out. You get a Twinkie and you squeeze it. That, in my opinion, nasty uh, cream filling, uh, you know, comes out of it. Uh, you know, I, I, I could keep going. What's, when, when you get squeezed, what's in you is going to come out. But you see, what God is doing through our, these trials as he's uh, producing endurance, as we endure, and he works in us, and we let him work, and we listen, and we learn, and we grow, and we repent, and we, and we trust. He's refined what's on the inside of us so when the next time we get squeezed something different comes out and I don't see how we can develop godly character without going through trials part, part of the reason that the, the, the scripture tells us to not uh, appoint a new Christian as a pastor is because you can't trust somebody until they're tested that's just the reality because, you know, when we first get saved or, you know, when we're young, a lot of times, I was just, we're all up and down. It's like one day we're on fire for the Lord and then something happens. It's like that we're thinking, is any of this true? So we have to come to a place of having a solid faith, a tested faith, because we've been through some things. And then character produces hope. But the root of this is trials. So how can trials lead to hope? Because you would think um, trials would take away our hope. But, but here's the reality. 
once we've been through some trials and we've trusted the Lord and this process has taken place, we're going to have more hope because the Bible then is not words on a page. It's a living book to us because we've experienced God in the trials and we've claimed his promises and we've seen that he's faithful. So when the next trial comes up, it's not as big a deal. We may not like it, but hey, God brought me through the last one. He'll bring me through this one. When we look to the future, uh, we can trust that God is in control and God is working out his plans and his purposes because we've seen him work in our lives. J.D. Greer defines hope as the confidence that God will keep all his promises, is working all things together for good, that one day he will restore all things in the resurrection, and in the meantime, he's never going to leave or forsake you and me. And once we've experienced that, there is a hope there that can carry us, sustain us through anything. And when there's faith and when there's hope, then worship flows out of that. Then the last reason, and it certainly ties all of this together, I think, because it's, it's definitely the heart of the gospel. And that's in the, the latter part of this passage. We can rejoice during trials because Jesus' death on the cross proves that God loves us. Do you ever doubt God's love? Have you ever doubted it? I have. But you know, the thing that I have to keep running back to, and this is the heart of it all, it's not our circumstances, it's not what we get out of it, it's not what God does or doesn't do for us. Christianity stands or falls on the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, what this text is saying is that Jesus died for us while we were sinners, and that proves God's love for us. That, that'd be like, you know, like if, if, if somebody broke into my home and, and, and I gave my life trying to defend my family, you know, you'd just think, well, that's what he should have done. But like if I give my life for my enemy, if I gave my life for a terrorist, you might think I was crazy, but you'd think, man, that's love. And the death of Jesus on the cross for sinners was more like, a whole lot more like me dying for a terrorist than dying for my wife or my kids. Because that's really what we were like spiritually. We rebelled against God, but he loves us so much that he died for us in our place. And then how do you know that's true? I know it's true because it's a historical fact that he rose from the dead. And that's what my faith is grounded in. So sometimes circumstances may hurt me or I may struggle in some ways spiritually. But this is what I come back to. This is like an anchor for the soul for me. In fact, I'll close with this. I want to just show you another little passage just to, to, to end with because this is something, it connects to what we're talking about and it's just some, one of these places I've come back to so many times in my life. I mean, you know, there, there's been times when, like, you know, is the Bible true? Is Jesus real? You know, can I trust God? Do I really want to follow him? Uh, is... You know, this is just too hard. Life's too, this doesn't make sense. God, where are you? Why are you? Do, I mean, I don't know if you all have those kind of questions or not, but I'm just being honest with you. And uh, this is one of the places that I come back to. It's John chapter 6. And it, it's a chapter where Jesus did a miracle and then kind of based on the miracle, he's teaching the people. And you have people that were looking for a miracle. And, and they, they were following him for what they could get instead of really following Jesus. And he, he started teaching them, telling them that he's the, the bread of life and the living water and these kind of things. And he's saying stuff they thought was nuts, like, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you're not going to have eternal life. And, you know, people start going away. And he says in verse 65, Therefore I have said to you that no one could come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. And then from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Um... If you're a Christian and you think life's a popularity contest, that's not how Jesus lived. A lot of more people walked away from him than followed him. And then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? And so Simon Peter answered him. You know, he, he was always piping up. Sometimes he got it wrong. This is one of the times he got it right. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And, and that question for me is just like an anchor. Where else am I going to go? Where else is there hope? Where else is there peace? Where else is there joy? Where else is, is there answers? I mean... Is humanism going to provide that? Is atheism going to provide that? Is just me thinking that, you know, I'm some random product of evolutionary uh, chance and processes and all these kind of things. But, and once again, like I said, I don't want my faith to be based on myths, but Christianity is not that. It's not rules, regulations, ritual, and philosophy. It's a person. The person of God who came as a little baby, lived as a boy and as a man, never sin, died for our sins, rose from the dead, attested to by eyewitness testimony, proving that God loves me, reconciling me to God, where whatever's going on in my life, I know that I know God, and I stand in his grace, and I'm loved by God, and God has a purpose for my trials, and he has a purpose for, for me, for what's going on in my life, and whatever's going on in my life, there's a better day coming because of Jesus and his resurrection resurrection. I stand in hope of the glory of God. There's nothing wrong with me that a good resurrection can't fix. And Jesus rose from the dead and we're going to rise in him. And so we can rejoice in him. We can praise him. We can worship him no matter what's going on in our lives. So what do we really believe? And why are we really following the Lord? Is it what we can get out of it? Or even if it doesn't seem like we're really getting anything out of it right now. Is it because of who he is and what he did for us on the cross? Can you rejoice in God even when life's hard? If you can, you believe the gospel. If you can't, you either need to grow in your knowledge and understanding of the gospel... Or maybe you're believing a fake version of the gospel. Because I'm telling you, whatever your bank account has or ha doesn't have in it, Jesus loves you and he died for you and he rose from the dead. However good your marriage is or isn't, Jesus loves you and he died for you and he rose from the dead. However good your health is or isn't, Jesus loved you and he, he, he died for you and he rose from the, the, the dead. And, and we could keep going with that, but what do we really believe? What's our faith rooted in? Is it in the gospel or is it circumstances? Are we following God because of the gospel or because of what we can get out of it? Like so you may say, that's hard. I, and maybe in a way it is, but I actually think in another way, it's the most freeing and liberating thing that we can ever experience. That we can live our lives rooted in the love of Jesus, in the goodness of God, where we don't have to try to fill our lives with that spiritual sugar candy that Tim Keller was talking about. And we don't have to live our lives like a roller coaster, always dependent upon our circumstances being right, when circumstances may never be exactly right. This goes beyond that, and it gives us something solid that we can stand on. Listen, when life is knocking us down, can we believe that we're standing in the grace of God and live our lives rejoicing in that hope of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes if we could. And I'm going to give you a chance to respond. We're going to sing an invitation song in a minute, and then after that we'll close with a Christmas song. If, if you want to come pray, I mean, the, the front's open here. If you want to find somebody, maybe you're just going through a hard time, you need somebody to pray with you. I'll be here if there's something you need to talk about. And I know some of you are going through some really tough stuff right now. Life's hard. But then we, I think we have to decide, what do we really believe? What are we really going to base our lives on? Is it about knowing Jesus, following Jesus, living to honor and glorify him? Or is it just about if he does what I want and if I can get what I want out of this, then I'm going to follow him. 
Are you really trusting the gospel? Have you been justified by faith in Christ alone? If you're not sure of that, did you, today, do you, can you come to God confidently, without shame, without guilt, not because of any righteousness you have, but knowing that you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? And if you can't say that, I encourage you, God invites you right now to repent of your sin, to humble yourself, to admit that you're a sinner, admit that you have nothing to offer him, and just come to the cross and cling to Jesus Christ, uh, resting in him, trusting in him, his finished work, believing that he paid for all of your sins, that he rose from the dead to give you new life. Will you repent and believe in him? Surrender your life to him right now. If you need to talk about that, come see me or talk to somebody you know. Settle that today if you are a Christian. We choose to rejoice in Him, to worship Him, to trust Him, to follow Him, even if the circumstances aren't what you want them to be. Father God, I thank you for your grace. God, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for trials, even though I've often been guilty of complaining about them. Lord, I thank you for loving us. Jesus, we thank you for dying for us. We thank you that you rose from the dead and that your resurrection guarantees our resurrection, that our past is washed away by your blood, that we're in your hands right now, that our future is secure in you so we can live with hope. And God, I pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit, by your word, that you would impart faith, that you would impart love and hope and joy in our hearts. God, cause us to trust you. And I just want to encourage as we sing in a moment. Maybe some of you just need to sing this song as a declaration of faith in God. No matter what's going on right now in your life, you're going to trust him. So maybe some of you need to surrender your life to Christ, to ask him to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life. Come talk to me or somebody if you have questions about that. But let's stand. Let's sing together.